It means it's finance today. Barry Preston's with me. What are we talking about today, Barry? Hi, Dave. How are you? Hi, listeners. Well, first of all, we'll do our uh, look at the commodities and see what's happening there over the week. Uh, we'll have Henry on to have a look at a very sharp uh, and entertaining look at the markets locally and overseas. And then I'm looking forward to this. We're interviewing Ian Davies, who's the Managing Director, Chief Executive Officer of Senex Energy, drilling for gas and oil. How, where, why, what do they do? And uh, it'll be interesting to see from their perspective of how exciting it is to find something. Barry Preston with Finance Today. I think it's time for a special guest, please, Barry. It certainly is. And, of course, comments made during our program are for general discussion. You must always seek your own advice and a product disclosure statement should be obtained and considered before obtaining a financial product. Staff associated with Pritchard & Partners, Proprietary Limited or BBY stockbrokers may hold or trade in shares in companies mentioned on the program. Pritchard's Financial Services Licence, 246712BBY238095. Henry, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Barry. How are you? Well, thanks. When are you on Sky again? Um, I think uh, next Wednesday. Wednesday. Interesting. We'll keep our eyes out for that. Now, quite unexpected interest rate cut. I think about nine economists out of about 36 got it right. Well, there's either yes or no, isn't it? I mean, some say say it's uh, because of the high dollar. Others say the economy is not that flash. Others say it won't uh, make a scrap of difference. Well, I must admit, I was one that got it wrong because uh, I thought they weren't going to move. Me too. And we, and we have had uh, numbers out today on the uh, employment front which um, suggested that maybe um, they won't move again. We seem to have had um, 50,000 jobs um, created um, in the... Uh, Where? In the, I, I'm not really sure. Um, it's, um, it's a strange thing. An unemployment rate has stayed steady at sort of 5.5%. So it's a good number, but it does take yeah. away the imperative for the RBA to cut rates, at least to boost the economy. It may be that they're trying to cut rates to, uh, to weaken the Australian dollar. You know, it's, it's funny. The things you read these days, and it's always quick in your face, but they say that the RBA may have joined the currency war. And, of course, media stories that the king of currency speculation, George Soros, is... Uh, uh, maybe shorting the Australian dollar. Well, that's, it was very widely reported in the media that uh, George Soros, who uh, famously broke the British pound out of the uh, EU mechanism some uh, decades ago, had a go at the Australian dollar, shorting that over the RBA announcement period and uh, and cleaned up on the back of that. So um, he, he's, um, he's a bit of a shrewdy. He's 82, um, so he does delegate, but um, he, certainly, uh, he certainly sees the Australian dollar having more downside, I think. There's a message in there for us mature people. It's never too late. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, the Karoon, Karoon hits more oil. Uh, what's this 200 foot of oil play? Yeah, Karoon had some good numbers from its uh, Bilby One uh, project that they drilled recently. Um, they've, they've drilled three wells and they've hit oil in two of them. So as Meatloaf says, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> uh, the stock was languishing around after its um, second well, which was a little bit... Uh, somewhat disappointing and didn't find anything particularly interesting but um, the latest well at Bilby as I say did find um, a couple hundred feet of oil so that was good good. that was good news stocks back up to uh, $5.30 odd having been down at sort of 380 Mm, interesting the market's moving around a lot as far as some of these oh yes there's some big volatility the sale of government spectrum this is the uh, I think I assume the telephone thing the auction seems it fell short by about 1.2 to 1.8 billion Telstra picked up about, uh, I don't know what it picked up, but it paid $1.3 billion for something. 
It did. It paid 1.3 for um, some airwaves, which I'm <laughs> not really sure what that gets you. Just some airwaves from the government. I'm not really sure, really, what the government does with the bit that they don't sell. Um, do they put that back into the... Um, I'm not really sure where you put <laughs> airwaves. But um, Telstra certainly picked up the, the dominant portion of uh, the new Spectrum auction. It was somewhat underwhelming for the government, which is certainly something we've come to expect from uh, from the government. They did uh, did have a problem that Vodafone and some of the other players didn't want to play, um, and Telstra certainly didn't pick up anywhere near the sort of Spectrum that they uh, the government has hoped, although uh, they still remain the dominant player there. A little solar tech company that we've interviewed on the radio a couple of times, Dysol, with a funny code D-Y-E, um, jumped over 100% yesterday. Apparently they've come up with a breakthrough in solar, solar processing. They have, apparently. Um, they have been doing some research in their uh, Swiss uh, research centre, um, and they have come up with... Um, um, the efficiency for uh, liquid-based uh, solar panels up from 5% where it was in about 2010 to uh, about 11% in full sun at the moment, which brings it into uh, competition with sort of mainstream power sources uh, feeding power into the grid. So it's a pretty significant event, they say. Mm. Uh, the stock price, which uh, I guess has probably been languishing a little bit, yesterday had its day in the sun. Absolutely, and I think with this one it's supposed to be artificial photosynthesis, so it doesn't need the sun to be shining, which is interesting. Mm. That's even better. Yeah. <laughs> Australian companies fairly act if one reports lower earnings, like... Coca-Cola copped a hit. The chief executive said that uh, it's due to the discounting of soft drinks and the high cost of wages and rent. These wages and rent seem to come up a lot lately. They do. I mean, the, uh, the Coca-Cola uh, chief, uh, Terry Davis, who's been in the gig for uh, some 20-odd years, did point out that um, you know wages and um, costs of rental, etc., are significantly higher in Australia. There were some questions about why Coke sells for a lot less in Asia than it does in Australia. He pointed out that Australian workers don't get paid a dollar fifty an hour, so it does make it kind of hard to compete with uh, with that in Asia. Um, Coke are having some problems at the moment filling the uh, supermarket shelves with their products when the supermarkets are putting their own um, select brands on the shelves at significantly cheaper costs. Also, Pepsi is engaging in a bit of a price war. So uh, things aren't looking too good in Australia for them, but they have got a, a very big uh, avenue into Indonesia, which does offer quite a big growth potential, especially as uh, being a Muslim country, they don't uh, drink a lot of alcohol. Hmm. If you're a borrower, good news. If you are not and living off your income, bad news. But banks have passed on their 025 cut which is good or bad all depends which side of the fence you're on but bank shares this, this is something that concerns me bank shares are heading for the stars but their profit growth is stagnant the ANZ's uh, on its cash basis it's uh, and these are rough figures that first half was up 4% but the second half no uh, growth whatsoever lower cost of course about 8% over the year and a 13% decline in bad debts added to their bottom line similar sort of thing with Westpac NAB came out today, uh, another profit, bigger dividend, but I haven't had a chance to chew the figures over. What do you, what do you think about this? Well, the banks are really achieving uh, growth through, as you say, Barry, um, two avenues, which is a reduction in bad debt provisions and uh, a cost-cutting drive, um, which is taking uh, you know, the money out of the business by taking people out of the business effectively. Um, they're asking less people to do more, and they're also harnessing technology. Technology is quite expensive, but uh, the banks that are reaping the benefits of those uh, are banks like Commonwealth, which has a very big IT spend, um, you know, have been doing very, very well. 
uh, there's no doubt the banks are um, expensive compared to uh, their peers around the world, but they certainly are uh, very solid compared to their peers around the world, and they are passing on a lot of the profits they make to shareholders in terms of dividends, which uh, is what people want at the moment. So fully mm. frank, bank dividends are very valuable, um, and people prepare to pay for it. Having said that, another thing we must remember that the Australia, Australia imports a lot of capital flowing from overseas, and of course it heads a lot of it ends up in the Australian banks. Now, if the Australian dollar weakens and foreign capital flow turns around, maybe a George Soros event, then things could get a little bit challenging. Well, they could. I mean, the, the banks have been very shrewd in the last few years, and they have moved from uh, from a model where they sourced a lot of their money from offshore to um, a lot more of their money is sourced from uh, deposit base. Um, so they have been quite shrewd in trying to switch this, so they aren't really um, exposed to the vagaries of credit markets and bond markets overseas in terms of how they raise their funds to, uh, to lend out to mortgage borrowers, etc. So um, the deposit base has been growing. I think they're up to about 60% now of their, um, of their money that they source to lend is, uh, is now derived from uh, deposits, which is, which is a positive thing, I guess. Again, those deposits are getting very shaky as uh, a lot more heads into the Australian market. But anyway, what's well, this space? Yeah, what do you think? I mean, we've still got, uh, I think the last figure I saw was 590 billion dollars on deposit in this country, mm. which is a significantly high amount of money. Mm. Um, I think it's sort of near the record-breaking. So there is a huge amount of money in deposit accounts still. So, so are you going to take it out very soon or not? I'm going to take my 589 ah. billion out. So mm. if you want to take your billion out, we'll all <laughs> be gone. Thanks, Henry. We'll be back in a moment to move overseas and see what's happening. It's finance today with... It's Finance Today with Barry Preston as we continue right now. Henry, gold seems to be jumping all over the place, but the physical demand apparently from China, India and places like that is still strong. Yeah, it's, um, it's funny. I mean, it's the, uh, the, the selling in gold we had about two or three weeks ago when we had that sort of crash in the gold price uh, came pr- predominantly from uh, what they call exchange-traded funds, which um, build up a position in gold um, and hedge funds as well um, that then suddenly were faced with redemptions um, and negativity and sold the, the, uh, the gold price down quite significantly, which gave all those people that love buying physical gold, like the Indian jewelers, Chinese jewelers, uh, people in Dubai and around the world, a very big um, sort of sale day kind of uh, uh, um, feeling. So that they've been out in force buying physical gold. We've had a lot of mints around the world actually struggling to keep up with demand for gold coins. Perth Mint was no exception. So there is a very, very large um, underlying um, demand for physical gold while the uh, derivative market, which is kind of the made-up pretend market, um, has been a bit down on gold. Interesting. Two things that are climbing in America, their debt, their national debt, of course, and their Dow. The Dow's up over 15,000. Henry, I'm not sure about this, but I'll have to investigate further. I don't think we should be comparing the, the growth in the Dow or the Dow index with the Australian uh, All Ordinaries Index. I think they're based on a different calculation. I think you're right there, Barry. Um, we've certainly seen the, the Dow go to uh, to all-time highs, as has the S&P 500 recently, which did lag the Dow a little bit. The Dow's made up of 30 um, <laughs> of, uh, of the biggest names in, in Wall Street. Um, our index has not performed anywhere near to the same extent that uh, the U.S. market has um, for a variety of reasons, I guess. 
but um, certainly the, the old adage of not fighting the Fed is very much um, part of the mentality at the moment in the US and that while the, the Fed is pumping money into their uh, economy, um, then um, you know there's this what we call the FOMO, which is the fear of missing out, mm. and, and the greed kind of takes over and there's a perception that there is very little downside while the Fed continues to pump money in. And we've also seen now the Japanese um, Central Bank plus the European Central Bank plus now the RBA, plus the Bank of England, all pumping money into their economies through um, very, very low interest rates or, um, or some sort of um, stimulus activity. And we look forward to you taking out your $589 billion and pumping Yeah, they're going to suffer there. I know. Uh, ATM's going to be busy for a while. Absolutely. There's a new term called Bitcoin. What is it? And is it under the regulator's eye? This is in America, I believe. What's this Bitcoin? I think the regulators love putting everything under their eye because that's what regulators love to do best and then they can charge and tax it and control it. Um, that's what governments and states do. Um, but a Bitcoin is, is basically a digital currency that, um, <laughs> that you can um, buy and sell things with. And uh, if you are a, a business, you can become a Bitcoin miner and you can produce goods and people can pay for those goods with the Bitcoin. Um, and you can even swap Bitcoins into real dollars, euros, or um, I believe pounds as well, um, so that you can make things, sell things on the internet um, and uh, use this Bitcoin currency. The joy of Bitcoin um, is that it is anonymous, which hey. has um, led to its growth. It is a very highly encrypted um, system which doesn't pass through any banks, goes from one individual to another individual without a bank touching it. Therefore, there's no taxes, there's no charges. It also is anonymous. So it has been used quite extensively um, in um, illegal drug trades as well. You know what illegal is, don't you? A sick bird. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Bitcoin, for goodness sake. Zombieland. They Zombieland. cut interest rates. They have. That may help. I don't know if it's going to make any difference to the 6 million people in Spain that are unemployed, but they cut interest rates from uh, 75 basis points to 50 basis points and have said that they will cut them further if they need to. Now, I don't know how much further they can cut them, but they're certainly having a go. Um, but um, the European um, situation does seem to have settled down a bit, and we do seem to have um, got a little bit of a pushback going on in, in the austerity plans, which have been crippling a lot of the, uh, the southern European zombie economies uh, like Greece and Portugal and Italy. Um, so we have a new prime minister in Italy. We have uh, Mr. Holland in France, who is um, deeply unpopular with his new taxes. They're all starting to push back a little bit on this austerity, and uh, the Troikas, the ECB, the, uh, the IMF, and the, the lenders of last resort have um, allowed some sovereign nations uh, more time to uh, get their houses in order, which is a good thing, and they're now pushing growth, mm-hmm. um, which is um, going to be uh, impossible. <laughs> Talking about households, is it true, or, well, I say true, but a statistic that UK, one in five households are borrowing or using their savings to buy food? Apparently, yes. <laughs> it is quite scary. It is very scary that this, this statistic that people are uh, borrowing money on their credit cards to, uh, to feed their families or uh, borrowing money from mortgages, etc., to feed their families. Things aren't particularly good in the UK once you move outside of um, southeastern London. Mm. So uh, they yeah. do have their problems. Henry, once again, everyone from 2NURFM, thank you very much indeed. Keep safe. See you next Always week. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Barry. Bye.
Newcastle and the Hunter Valleys, 2 and URFM 103.7. Thursday afternoon, it's Finance Today. We've got Barry Preston with us. And we have a guest, Ian Davies, a Managing Director, Chief Executive Officer of Senex Energy Limited, an oil and gas exploration ASX-listed company with a market capital of approximately $790 million. Ian is a multi-experienced operator, General Manager of Ports and Infrastructure and Business Development with Queensland Gas Corporation, before Head of Energy at Ostock Corporate Affairs and a number of senior roles with Barclays Capital. Price Waterhouse and Coopers. How are you, Ian? Hi, very well, thank you. Ian, this is interesting. Senex. Now, it was Victorian Petroleum, uh, which uh, was listed in the ASX in June 1984, and it's exploring in the Cooper Basin. A couple of questions from that. Why did you change your name, and where is the Cooper Basin? Yeah, hi. Uh, really good to be with you. Thank so, you. Uh, Senex Energy, uh, you're right, was called uh, Victorian Petroleum. Uh, so I joined uh, Vic Pet, as it was known then, uh, in July 2010. Uh, we changed our name uh, later that year to really give the business a new identity because we really were uh, changing the uh, the focus of the business to the Cooper Basin. Uh, I think the, the second part of your question around why the Cooper Basin and why explore there. Uh, the Cooper Basin has been producing oil and gas in, uh, into Australia uh, since the 1960s. Uh, it's Australia's largest and most uh, well-known onshore Hydrocarbon basin, and it was really underexplored. So we're we're going in and giving the uh, giving the basin a, a new lease on life. Great. Now it must be exciting uh, as an MD of an oil company uh, after much planning to see firsthand a big gas or oil fan, fine. Now I remember this. I not to try and downplay the situation, but it's not that simple. Of course, like the old guy, I think it was on. Was it the Beverly Hillbillies uh, fired a shotgun into the ground or something, and up came the oil? Where do you start, and how do you determine where to drill for oil? I, uh, I wish it was that easy. No, uh, the uh, uh, oil and gas is a pretty technical game these days. So, I mean, where you start is uh, you first of all need uh, you need good geology. So you need to have rocks that contain hydrocarbons, oil and gas. Uh, so how you determine where that oil and gas is is you use um, some exploration tools like seismic. And seismic is simply uh, putting some sound waves down to the earth and getting them back and collecting them and, uh, and then some, uh, some smart guys do some work on that to, uh, to determine, uh, where some, uh, some oil and gas might be, uh, might be collected. And it is. Uh, with a huge amount of work following that, you go and drill that area. Hmm. Uh, and of course it's exciting for shareholders. They're, they're hoping that of course you hit the, hit the big time. What do they call that when you hit a big strike? What is it? Uh, <laughs> when you uh, when you when you hit a big target, yeah, that's yeah. A, it's a fantastic result for us. Okay, now you've determined the, the the target. You've hired a drill rig. You spud, and I believe that's what they call starting the drilling. Now, what are the stages of drilling after you spud? Yeah, so I, I talked about seismic before, which really tells you uh, the the depth of uh, of your target. So you know that uh, in in our case, it's some two thousand meters down below the surface of the earth. Uh, so you know that uh, you are going to drill down uh, to what they call total depth, or TD, uh, and that's where you stop. Uh, you've got sophisticated measuring equipment uh, on the drilling rig, uh, which so you know exactly where you are, uh, and that's when you stop. Now, during the drilling process, there are many reports on, you know, where you have to report through the Australian Stock Exchange to shareholders. Is there a set procedure an oil drilling program must meet, or do you just play it by ear? Yeah, so your drilling, uh, your drilling target, I mean, these wells, uh, cost in the order of, uh, $1.8 million or $2 million per well to drill. So quite a lot of work goes into, uh, planning how to drill a well. 
and so there's a very there's a, a whole series of documents uh, and you know, very rigorously uh, uh, applied in terms of regulations with uh, with the government as well. So it's a very well regulated industry. Uh, so uh, in relation to the ASX, uh, there are uh, of course uh, 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 procedures that we must go through in relation to reporting our findings, and clearly that will be at the start of. Uh, generally at the start of a well and generally on, on the result of that well. It might be each well or it might be uh, monthly. Following your company, one reads from the reports, your progress reports, that uh, terms such as wellhead, wireline logs and other funny terms. Can you explain some of these things? Of course. So uh, the oil and gas industry, like every industry, has lots and lots of technical terms associated with it. So uh, what we mean by wellhead, it's really the uh, it's the it's the uh, the the top of it's the you can see on on top of the well itself, uh, which has a lot of valves on it. So uh, that are connected to the actual well itself, uh, which goes down as I said about two thousand meters. And those valves are really designed to uh, hold the pressure in, uh, and uh, so that uh, there's no it, it controls uh, it controls the pressure at all times. So there's no uh, blower left. So there's no blowout, as you say, yes. Yeah. What, what's a uh, wire... We keep it very safe. Fair enough. What's a wireline log? A wireline log, uh, so once again, very technical. When, you, uh, when you've drilled a well, uh, you, you do what's called wireline logs. And these logs are literally... Uh, it's a tool on the end of a, uh, a string of wire, uh, which you run, uh, run down the hole that you've just drilled. And with a series of, uh, of uh, tools that are uh, at the end of this uh, wireline, uh, it can it puts uh, various pulses of uh, whether it be uh, sound or uh, other sort of electromagnetic um, pulses into the the earth and uh, the reflections tell you an awful lot about what's there and that's how you really determine whether you've got a uh, successful oil well or not. Interesting, you guys come up with some funny names with your oil well like Kingston Rule One, Hornet One, Skipton One, Panning One. How do you determine these names? Yeah, it's interesting actually because in the various areas, uh, you, uh, there are various ways of doing it. For instance, in the southern Cooper Basin where we're drilling now, there's a whole series of wells that are named after Melbourne Cup winners. Oh. Uh, in, in other areas, there's wells that are named after, uh, you know, warplanes. So, I mean, it's generally a, a way for the exploration group of a particular company to, uh, to come up with a, uh, with a, uh, a series of names and they, it might be, uh, dogs, it might be kids. Uh, all sorts. And I think the Bass Strait they call fish or something, isn't it? Halibut and all those yeah. sort of things? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Interesting. We're talking with Ian Davies, our guest today, who is the Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer of Senex Energy. And we're looking at how they drill for oil, what are they using, some of the terms, and we'll be back soon to travel a little bit further down the oil well. It's Finance Today with Barry Preston on 2NURFM 103.7. It's Finance Today with Barry Preston as we continue. With Ian Davies, Managing Director, Chief Executive Officer of Senex Energy, an oil and gas drilling company. It seems from reports, Ian, that your company has had some pretty impressive exploration results from both oil and gas. Uh, could we seek an understanding of uh, some of the following? Recent exploration results from unconventional gas wells and... What does that, that actually mean? Unconventional gas well seems quite strange, being unconventional. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a bit that way, actually, Barry. The, uh, the term unconventional really means that uh, uh, although there's oil or gas uh, in a particular reservoir, uh, it needs a helping hand to come out. So uh, that's when you, uh, you use um, you know, unconventional, in the historical terms, unconventional techniques such as horizontal drilling or fracture stimulation. Uh, so that's really what unconventional means. 
Okay, now I think at your company's Panning 2 gas exploration well, you intersected 117 metres of net gas pay, and uh, I believe your company, Senex, estimates the potential gas in place at 2.1 trillion cubic feet. Now, that sounds like a huge gas resource. Uh, how do you estimate it? Uh, how do you commercialise it? And what does it mean for our gas prices? Yeah, so if you look at, uh, let me take a step back to what's happening in the market at the moment. Uh, you, you and your listeners would know, Barry, that uh, there's some big LNG plants being built in Gladstone and Queensland. Uh, what that's doing, of course, is uh, it's increasing uh, demand for uh, gas on the east coast of Australia, uh, which is currently around 700 petajoules, and petajoules is just a unit, 700 petajoules of gas for the entire east coast as we currently stand. Uh, the demand is basically tripling over the next uh, four or five years. What that means is a whole heap of new supply has got to come into that market. And what we're doing at Senex is really to try and fill the gap in that supply uh, so that uh, uh, when there's a high-priced environment, a higher-priced environment like we're heading into now, uh, that new supply will uh, will go to uh, lower those costs for everybody. Well, that sounds good. What, by the way, what's a petajoule? A petajoule, it's just a unit of energy. Uh, so, uh, for instance, um, a, a, when you uh, use gas at home, uh, they're measured in gigajoules. Uh, a petajoule is, uh, is a million of those. So uh, it's, uh, it's just a unit of energy that, uh, that uh, you, uh, you use to measure, uh, measure that uh, resource. You mentioned some LNG uh, buildings in the area of Gladstone and things like that. What's LNG stand for? LNG is liquefied natural gas. Ah, so it's normal, it it's normal natural gas that's uh, refrigerated uh, down to about one six hundredth uh, of its uh, size. Uh, you put it into ships and you transport it to Asian markets where they transform it into gas again because they don't have any uh, local supplies of natural gas like we do have in here in Australia. There's been much, uh, Ian, there's been much uh, discussion in the Hunter Valley uh, regarding hydraulic fracking, uh, et cetera, et cetera, and there are many kinds of fracking, of course. What does your company use and how does it work? Yeah, so Senex is really focused in uh, the South Australian Cooper Basin, which is about 1,200 kilometres north of Adelaide. Uh, and the fracking that we do are wells that we drill to about 3,000 metres below the earth. And really what fracking is, or hydraulic fracture stimulation is, is the, uh, the, the longer term for it, uh, is simply water, sand and some other fluids uh, which are pumped into uh, the, uh, the particular piece of rock that you're trying to uh, fracture or break uh, at high pressure. Uh, and the, the sand that you pull with those fluids uh, go into the, the formation or the cracks that you create. Uh, to hold those cracks open, and it's through those cracks that the uh, the, the gas uh, trans- the, the gas is transported. So, okay, interesting. Now, uh, of course, the wellhead uh, and the gas is collected from there and transported. Now, exploration and development is very costly, and a company is always hoping it will make a big fine. Where is the m- the most money spent uh, determining where to drill or the actual drilling? Yeah, so the drilling itself uh, is is really quite um, expensive in absolute terms. So each well, uh, an oil well, will cost uh, about one point eight or two million dollars to drill. Uh, if you're successful, it might t- take another uh, six or seven hundred thousand dollars to what we call complete it for production. Uh, an unconventional gas well, uh, which where you've got to use fracture stimulation, uh, might cost in the order of eight to ten million dollars uh, to, to drill and complete. So it's it's really quite uh, an expensive business. There's and one the uh, Sorry, Barry. You're right. Keep going. Uh, and the the reason uh, that uh, the 
that, that we do that is because uh, the margins that uh, the companies create on this oil and gas business are, are high enough to support the risk uh, that companies like Senex undertake because you may have a, a one in two chance of success. So that for every two wells you drill, uh, one is successful. Interesting. Now, I know on the movies we've seen it, the wildcat wells are planned or not planned. And is Senex, two questions here, what is a wildcat well and is Senex a sole operator or do you farm out? And what does that mean? Yeah, yeah. so uh, a wildcat well is simply a, uh, a high-risk exploration well. And what we do at Senex is really try to reduce that risk through using exploration techniques such as seismic, uh, which I explained earlier yes. on. Hmm. And uh, in relation to being a sole operator, there are some permits that we own 100%, which means we're a sole operator, and there are other permits which we own less than 100%. And the term farm-out really uh, means... Uh, selling down a portion of your equity. So instead of having 100%, you might have 60%, and you'll farm down that uh, the difference between those two, which is 40%, to uh, a- another partner. So you end up with it being a partner 60-40 in a particular permit. Interesting. Well, Ian, uh, who is the uh, Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director of uh, Senex Energy, we've been uh, talking with him today. It's very interesting, and I'm quite sure that shareholders will follow your company's uh, progress with excitement, and let's hope you strike a few more gas and oil wells and help bring the price of gas down. <laughs> Thank you, Barry. Thank you very much, Ian. Not too much on finance, but it was interesting to talk. Uh, we've had a lot of people phone up and they've been talking about what, what do they mean by this and what do they mean by that with oil, and hopefully in a couple of weeks' time we'll be talking about a, a company that uh, is looking for silver and had some very good uh, success in the uh, basin down in South Australia. So, everybody, thank you very much indeed. Keep safe. Look forward to seeing you next week.